If you are a longtime listener to the Happier at Work podcast, you will have heard me speak previously about my signature Happier at Work program. The program has now moved beyond the pilot phase and it's for organisations who want to maintain a really great culture that they already have. They know that their staff are really, really important and they want to retain staff for as long as possible and drive a sense of better engagement at work. Overall, ultimately, what the programme does is create a happier working environment using research-backed methods. What that means is we look at the current state of play, what needs to change, and then we measure the effectiveness of that change during the programme and also when the programme finishes. The programme itself is very practical and it is designed with coaching as well in order to embed the learning into the organisation. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. When you have a manager who truly believes in your potential more than you believe yourself, you're unstoppable as an individual contributor or as an employee of that team manager. And so that type of a transformational leader will invest time in each member of the team in their development. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted that you decided to tune in today. And my guest today is Aoife Donovan Lee. And we met a couple of years ago and we've had various conversations over the years. But I'm really interested in what Aoife has to say specifically about leadership. So we're talking about transformational leadership. She shares some of the frameworks that she uses in her business. And I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you to those who have already interacted on Spotify. Thank you to those who have left feedback about episode 150 and some of the previous episodes in the last few weeks as well. It's always really, really great to hear from listeners about the kind of things that really resonate with you. So really, really appreciate you doing that. As always, at the end of this episode, I'm going to put together a synopsis of some of the key points that we discussed throughout the episode. Uh, do stay tuned for that. And as always, do feel free to interact on social media, whether it's on Instagram, on LinkedIn. You will find all of my links on happieratwork.ie. That's the Happier at Work website. And as a reminder, if you are listening on Spotify, you can now interact directly with the podcast episode by clicking into the episode itself and leaving your comments there. Aoife, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I know we've been talking about this for a while, uh, the fact that we're going to record a podcast episode together. So I'm so thrilled to delightly to, to finally welcome you to the podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself to listeners, give a little bit of a history, the, the path that you took to, to get to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Aoife. Um, so, yeah, I started out my career um, after college in Vodafone in customer experience. Uh, and that was back in 2004. And from the first day that I was there in the training room, I wanted the trainer's job. <laughs> so I just thought I, I love what she does. Um, I want to get up there and I want to do what she does. So that was my goal then um, while I was working in the, in the customer service help desk. And so I worked my way um, through a number of different roles up to the corporate 
um, service desk. And uh, I was two years in at that point and very much um, on first name terms with all of the training department, doing my best to bang that door down and get a job in there. So eventually a role came up um, and I had enough experience um, as a subject matter expert at that point on the help desk that uh, I, I was successful in the interview process and I had found my calling at that point. I just felt so at home um, standing up in front of people, delivering products or training uh, services that I designed. Um, so I spent uh, four years, over four years doing that at Vodafone, moving around uh, different types of training roles. So not only customer service, but then uh, retail, so frontline retail staff, uh, as well as account management. And so I worked very closely with our enterprise department there as well. Um, got a wide range of experience um, at such a young age uh, and, and especially having found what I really thoroughly enjoyed. But then the opportunity for redundancy came up and uh, at that time a friend of mine was moving to Canada and said why not come with me? So I said absolutely why not? <laughs> um, so I moved with herself, uh, the two of us moved in 2011 and uh, I was blessed to find a, a coaching role actually um, in an online brokerage so coaching um the customer service agents in the in the finance department as well as the traders on on calls so uh, so working with those um traders and customer service agents on their on their performance as a coach so that was my first role as a coach um but having spent almost a year in canada uh, in toronto i decided that the grass isn't always greener and I thought home is calling so I wanted to move back. Or, or the grass um, is quite literally greener in Ireland. <laughs> the grass is quite literally greener on our Emerald Isle. Uh, so I just yeah I missed home and I wanted to come back and, and set up shop here so uh, that was back in 2012 the start of 2012. Uh, so I came home and within a couple of months um, I was successful in an interview process for eBay uh, so I started out there as a soft skills training specialist for the account management function. Um, and quite quickly while I was there, um, the account management function was going through a reorg. So um, I, my role was sort of uh, re redundant, for want of a better word. Um, I was still an employee, but they were figuring out what to do with me. So um, because they were going through the reorg, I saw an opportunity for myself with the HR director. And I said, can I get involved in this process in some way because um, I had my degree in HR um, and uh, I, I, I just was interested in the process and what goes on in the background. I'd, I'd always worked in training and development but hadn't had any other HR experience. Uh, so she said, why not? So she took me under her wing um, for the duration of that project of that reorg. And uh, she must have liked what she saw in me and she created a role for me as the people program manager working directly for her. Um, and so while working in that role, I got to um, work with the senior leaders for each of the departments uh, in our Dublin base uh, in, in eBay um, on their employee engagement results and um, looking at uh, what to prioritise, what were the hot spots and the hot topics that they could prioritise. So working on cross-functional teams with them, um, with some of their leaders on some of those projects, so that was really different from anything that I'd done. It was really exciting. Um, but uh, I missed coaching. I had done coaching uh, in Toronto and uh, I wanted to become qualified. So I enrolled in an IMI uh, executive coaching diploma. And um, at the same time, eBay was setting up a coaching function. Um, so I, again, became very familiar with the, 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 the head of that department. Um, 
and uh, I, I let her know where I wanted to where I wanted to go, and I wanted a job in leadership as well. So I really wanted to 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 manage people, and felt like I I was doing it in a lot of ways. And um, in a lot of ways, I was working. I was just seeking out opportunities to mentor people all the time. Um, so I went through the diploma process and actually just coming to the end of the, the diploma in 2014, a role came up um, on the on the coaching team to take on a team of uh, coaching specialists. So to manage coaching specialists as well as develop um, coaching programs for our leaders, uh, our frontline leaders and, uh, and our coaching specialists at eBay. So. I mean, for that role, I was in my element. Um, I was getting to to lead people, to develop them, to unleash their potential and deliver training to others as well. So um, I was ticking a lot of boxes in that role. Um, and uh, I, in 2016, then um, things were changing for me. I became pregnant on my first child and uh, I decided um, that I, while I was on maternity leave, um, maybe a change was needed. Uh, so, and at the same time, there was a reorg in the department. So, um, I took that opportunity to look at what was it that I really wanted to do, and I'd always wanted to explore psychology in a little bit more depth. And um, so, I decided to take on a master's uh, in psychology. I really did my best to to try and find parts of the role that were aligned with my purpose and my strengths. Um, while doing the masters in the background, but ultimately I felt like it it feels like time for me to to do something different. And um, so I started to work with a coach to identify how do I go and do the thing that I really wanted to do, which was set up my own business. Um, so this was coming to the end of twenty eighteen, and I had my whole plan set up. Um, and fortunately, early twenty nineteen, um, my role. And everybody else at my level, our roles were made redundant. Uh, so I had a nice redundancy package behind me. I had the dream of setting up my own business. So everything was set in motion for me to do that. So that's I've I've been riding that dream ever since. So <laughs> I'm out on my own now um, since 2019, uh, working both as an independent consultant, designing bespoke uh, leadership programs for organizations, as well as um, running executive coaching on a one-to-one basis um, and also doing some associate work with uh, with a training development consultancy. And then a couple of years ago, myself and my dad decided to go into business together as well. So I have a separate business with my dad because he's in the same line of work as me, leadership development. And uh, we've set up Donovan Learning. So um, I run group programs, both bespoke and uh, a mix of blended and self-directed programs online um with pops so that's <laughs> that's my story that's pretty much how i've gone uh, from 2004 right up to now love it and like there's there's so much that i took away from that story if i can kind of address or just uh highlight those issues for you and for listeners before we go on to kind of talk about the main thing that we want to talk about today so like from what i can see that the um the journey that you've taken was very underpinned by networking and the connections. So you've always made sure to kind of knock on the door of the person who you knew that you wanted to know. And I suppose that's something that that people can can action straight away. Like I always hear different ways of of phrasing this, I suppose, like your network is your net worth. And also people saying that it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. 
And, you know, from a personal perspective, that's becoming more and more apparent to me because I do. I'm quite active on social media and I've always been the kind of person that if I see someone repeatedly, so if they're interacting with my stuff or if they're posting regularly on social media as well and I see it, then I'll know who they are. But people will then contact me who haven't interacted with my stuff, who haven't uh, been posting necessarily regularly themselves. And therefore, I have no idea who they are, but they might feel like they know me because I post so much and they might listen to the podcast or something like that. So I suppose it's thinking about not from the perspective of who you know, but who actually who knows about you and what you want and what your aspirations are. Um, the other thing that I picked up was this idea of maternity leave and then kind of that being the prompt to decide or to, to make some maybe difficult decisions as to whether you wanted to stay in the role that you're in. And I know we've covered that um, that kind of topic in the past with Sarah Courtney, um, episode 102 it was. So this idea of supporting women to come back to the workplace, but we haven't really looked at it from the from the perspective of the individual woman and the decisions that that are often taken, you know, when they when uh, when they have their, their first baby and, and things like that. So just a couple of things that I wanted to kind of to float the idea around, I suppose, and, and to to illustrate to people in someone's career journey. You know, these are the things that are important or these are the kind of milestones that you need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially as a leader, uh, if you're leading a team to be aware of those challenges facing women coming back into the workplace. Um, and even before I had children, I was quite quite aware of that um, and quite attuned to that, uh, to, to just listening to someone who was um, pregnant uh, and making sure that they could feel a genuine care for them and that their well-being and their health comes first. And, and actually, regardless of, of pregnancy as well, anyone on the team I, I did everything that I could um, to let them know in my words, my tone, my action, everything that health, family, that's number one. So if anybody was ever fearful of having to share something with me, like a pregnancy, what does this mean for my career? Um, or uh, that they had a, a sick parent or, or someone at home that they needed to, to spend some more time with and they needed a bit more flexibility. I always held on to that belief that it's it's a give and a take. First of all, from a human perspective, I could need that same flexibility from them um, as as their leader in the future. But as well, how would I feel if it was if I was in their shoes? And so I always felt like that if somebody came to me with um, you know they were they they telling me they were pregnant um, and then you know there's there's a lot needed uh, to support them in terms of um, giving them time off and. Um, and uh, I, I remember there was one girl on my team a number of years ago who, unfortunately, she had a miscarriage on her first baby. Um, and when she came back to work and she was working for a number of months and thankfully she became pregnant again. And I knew that even though I hadn't been through it at this point myself, um, I just knew how tough that must have been for her and the worry, every scan, every appointment and just for her knowing that she had me behind her, supporting her, um, it, it just took that worry away. And and she would say that to me on many occasions. And uh, and, and I, I said, look, just 
work your appointments around what suits you, you know, so that you can go and have a, a, a coffee or a break with your partner afterwards. So I think those things are really important for leaders to be aware of and to be sensitive to. Um, even if you haven't been in the situation yourself, uh, just it comes back to empathy, doesn't it? It's just how would I feel if that was me or um, if that was someone who's really close to me, a family member, how would I want them to be treated? Uh, and then likewise, coming back into the org or, or even while they were off, I would, before they went off, actually, I'd, I'd ask them, do they want a check-in? Do they want me to fill them in on what's going on, changes on the team, changes in the organisation every quarter? And they all did, actually, and they liked just a text, you know, so someone, this person has moved, they won't be on the team anymore when you come back. Just a couple of little check-ins across the across their leave and then um, communication on the on their journey back, you know, coming back into the office, uh, meeting up in person with them for a coffee outside of the office, you know, meeting up in a cafe somewhere um, and just reassuring them that uh, you're that I was there to support them um, and that I would do everything to make that transition back as seamless as possible. So I used to suggest come back on a Wednesday so you only have a, or a Thursday, so you've just got a couple of days. Um, take shorter days if you want. Um, that's okay. So just letting them know that those options are available as well is really important. And, and the communication piece, checking in with them and um, how they're doing when they do start to get back into a flow of work, not assuming that they're back now a few weeks, everything's fine. Um, you know, they do still have a newborn baby at home. So just to be, be aware of that uh, is really important. And certainly, Aoife, when I was managing people, um, I was totally oblivious to all of these kind of things. Like I just had no <laughs> idea because no one ever told me, no. you know, and, and I suppose, you know, and, and I suppose the, the subject of this podcast is not necessarily about returning to work, but it's more from a leadership mm. perspective and the kind of yeah. things that you need to be aware of. And I, I loved how you described it as empathy. It's like treating people like humans, like you would want someone else to be treated. And it's about yeah. the putting people first rather than putting the profits first. And when you put people yeah. first, the profits do tend to follow because you hold on to your people for longer. You don't have to, you know, pay extortionate. I was going to say rates, but like extortionate money, basically, to to replace yeah. people or to build up the morale in the organization after someone leaves, all of those kinds of things. Um, mm. So like some of the, the kind of the key points that you illustrated in relation to that particular challenge about returning to work or going on maternity leave, mm. I think kind of be applied in a few different contexts. And I know before we started recording, we were saying we'd maybe start with the, the idea of new managers. So, so mm. what does a leader need to do? What are the big challenges when you first start leading someone? And then maybe move on to like there's some other leaders. And I know this is certainly the case in a lot of organisations I've dealt with that they never received any training and no. then <laughs> And then they've just kind of progressed and it's it's maybe just going back to the basics of how like what do you have to do what are and and what are the the kind of the key challenges and then what are the key opportunities i suppose as well yeah i i agree for oftentimes new managers don't get the training that they need coming into a, a new role like this and sometimes they they were hired in the role because they were a super operator they were super at the jobs they did they were high performing but not necessarily because of leadership skills. And so that leadership skill um, could be missing. Um, and so they're, they're not given the training that they need. 
so I always talk to leaders about um, expectations from the start. So uh, have a conversation with your manager as early as possible on to identify what did they, what will they accept as evidence that you've been successful in the role after six or 12 months so that you know what they're pointed towards and what they're prioritizing. Um, and you know what the measure of success looks like from their perspective. They're the ones who are appraising you. Um, and then also expectations from your staff. So sitting down and spending time with each of your, your team members, introducing yourself, allowing them to introduce themselves, getting to know them, starting to get to know what they expect from you, um, how they like to be managed, how they like to be communicated with, and then discussing your style as well and meeting somewhere in the middle and getting a good read on what motivates each of your staff members as well. Um, there are great tools that you can use to do this because it might be something that they haven't been asked about before. Um, it could be a big question for them, you know, what motivates you or what what manage, what's your preferred management style? Um, I like a book called The Tao of Coaching. It's by a guy called Max Landsberg. And uh, there are some really fantastic tools in that book. Um, but one of them is um, in the appendix, actually. It's a list of different um, ways that people appreciate or ways that people um, are motivated to do a task. And uh, you can uh, offer these to your employees, a range of different ways that they like to be motivated. And you could get them to rate um, you know, their top five or something like that so that you're getting a sense um, of what, how they like to be, or how what's going to motivate them rather. Mm. Uh, so getting that real sense of what does my leader expect? What are the measures of success? What do my team expect from me? I'm sharing in the same vein what you expect from them, but also starting to get to know them on a personal level and what motivates them. I think is a really important place to start mm. um, in your new role as a manager. What, what kind of things does he talk about in the book in relation to motivation? Like what does he have, say, a list of five or six different specific things that people are motivated by or or how does that work? Yeah, he has a load. <laughs> so there's a number of different ways. <laughs> Actually, in the appendix. That's a technical the book, term. Is where I would a load. To go. Load. <laughs> Loads of different ways that people are motivated. Um, so he talks about some people are motivated by salary, of course, uh, but others are motivated by a competitive environment. They're motivated by... Um, having some authority. They can be motivated by um, being part of a, a cohesive team and um, motivated by praise and recognition. Others are motivated by working under pressure. So everybody is motivated in different ways. And uh, just starting to take some time to get to know that is really important. Yeah, no, I love that. I, th I think just asking the question, you know, and asking people, I suppose, how do they like to be managed? Because not everyone likes to be managed in the same way. And, you know, this has come up in a lot mm. of conversations I've had recently. And I have had direct experience of this myself of a micromanager or a manager who compares you yeah. to, say, some of the other team members as well. Any any thoughts on that, on, on maybe why that happens or what we can do as individuals? Or if you recognize yourself as being the micromanager, what steps you can take to address it? Yeah, um, there, I'm going to harp on about this book again because there's another great tool in this book um, called the the Skill Will Matrix. 
Um, so what Landsberg recommends you do is have a look at this. Um, well, you could draw it out on a page. Essentially, what you could do is just have a, a an axis. So along the bottom axis, have the um, skill and uh, along the, the left hand axis to write will. And what you're doing is you're assessing your employees level of skill from low to high and their level of will from low to high. And then what you what that allows you to do is look at look at a quadrant um, you know, and see where where are your team members plotted on this on this matrix in each of the different quadrants. So you've got um, some of your team members who you perceive are of low will and low skill. Um, and for those, the aim of your coaching and your, your management style really should be a direct approach. So um, some coaching, but more training, helping them to be really clear on the brief, you know, what's expected of them in relation to their performance around specific tasks um, and helping them to break tasks down into bite-sized chunks so that they can see perform, they can see their progress um, over time and that they're getting those quick wins as well. Um, and praising and nurturing those people that are falling into that quadrant. And um, there's also then uh, people who are highly skilled, but the will is low. So something may have happened that it's demotivated them. Maybe they missed out on the latest promotion, um, but they're highly skilled workers. So they, they are capable. And so your aim of coaching or your management style really is to figure out what's going on, what went wrong. And by spending some time with them, listening to them, asking them questions, being an effective coach. Um, And once you've identified what it is, uh, then again, setting out a really clear briefing with them on what's expected um, and helping them to to break that down into an action plan. Um, Praising, nurturing and again, going back to conversations that you've had with them around what motivates them. And bringing that back in and making sure that you're you're satisfying those needs in terms of their motivation. And then if you think about that quadrant, you're moving up into the top right hand corner of that quadrant is uh, the star performers. So people who are highly skilled and, and have the will, they've got high will. What you want to do with those people is if you've set those people a task, but you're micromanaging, um, that's probably going to push them further into, into demotivation. So um what you want to do is keep that motivation up. And that's your, your really your aim of, of coaching or your, your management style there is to delegate. Uh, and so you're looking for opportunities to um, invite them into the process. So where you set the objective with them, but you don't set the method, you allow them to come up with the process themselves as well, inviting them into decision making where it's appropriate. So asking them what they think and stepping back letting them um, have free reign over a project uh, will really keep them in motivation. And then you've got the last quadrant, which is people who have the will, there's high will there, but the skill is low. So these might be your new new, new members to the team and your, your management style there is guiding. So you're training them a lot, of course. I wouldn't shy away from coaching them and asking them what they think and how they think sh- things should be done. And also allowing for mistakes, so tolerating mistakes and letting them know that it's okay to make mistakes um, and that you're there to support them. When that happens, let's figure that out together. How do we how do we um, rectify this? Uh, And just keeping it, keeping track of their progress as well and starting to relax um, the, the management of those people as you see progress happening. Brilliant. And like. 
I suppose one of the, the things that often comes up in conversations is the challenges around becoming a first time manager. So any thoughts around that? Mm. Like, um, you know, I, I always hear this anecdotally and I've never seen research necessarily back it up, but I hear so many people saying it and talking about it is the fact that if you perform really well in the individual contributor role and mm. like the, again, the example that's often used is sales. So if you if you're a really great salesperson, it doesn't necessarily translate into being a really great manager of salespeople. So any any thoughts on kind of making that transition? And and when I say the transition, it can be the transition from the perspective that you're moving into this role or perhaps you've been in a management role for a while, but you haven't necessarily received the training. Like what, what would you say are the kind of the basics to get right? Yeah, um, great question. I, I would say go by the mantra what got you what got you here won't get you there um so to just be start to look at the the tasks that you've been set and how you're spending your time each week um and looking at your tasks in two buckets what's operational and what's a management task um and how much time are you spending on each so if you're really comfortable in the operational side and um that because that's what got you to where you are now and um, just to be mindful of that and to see how much of that uh, is actually contributing to my performance and the, the team the team's performance and how much of that can be delegated so where can you delegate to those people who um, if we look at the skill will matrix again look at those people who crave that who are looking for those stretch tasks that are going to motivate them um, and potentially those highly skilled workers who are lacking the will, who need that motivation as well. So looking at how can you delegate um, effectively to others on the team um, and then looking at your, your management tasks and um, how effectively are you, are you doing those and how much time are you spending on those? Now, of course, when you're looking at delegating, um, you need to ensure that the task suits the level of the role that the person is at that you're, you're delegating to. Um, so, of course, you're not going to delegate things like grievances, um, but certainly the operational tasks um, can can be moved on and moved off your plate. I often hear that people are afraid to let go of some of that stuff because that's what they were praised so highly for in the first place. And that's why they believe they achieved the promotion is because they were so exceptional at that. But you don't want to become the most highly paid highly skilled operator uh, on the team. You're there to manage the team. You're there to achieve results through other people. And your team needs you uh, in terms of developing their skills, building their development areas, building on their strengths. And so I'd say that's a great place to start just to look at your look at your role now. Look at the uh, look at the tasks that you're doing day to day, separate them out into the two buckets and then decide which um, need to be delegated on how much time am I actually spending leading and managing my team? Yeah, yeah. I think we'll, we'll come back to the time element in a second. I wanted mm. to pick up on this, the idea of achieving results through others, because I, I think there's a lot of people who maybe don't necessarily get that. Like your role as a manager is is primarily to develop other people and the results that you achieve are the results that you get through developing those other people to do their jobs more effectively, essentially, like at its crux. That's really mm. what, a, what a manager is. So I wanted to kind of reiterate that point. But uh, and, and we touched on previously some of the ideas around motivation and how to motivate other people. Are there any other specific challenges you see with achieving results through others? Like it's 
you know, it's when you were talking about the, the motivation piece that kind of what sprang to my mind was the carrot and the stick, you know, what's the carrot versus what's the stick? So the carrot being the something to entice you to do something, the stick, meaning if you don't do it, you're going to get you're going to get hit with a yeah. stick. Um, so yeah. any any other thoughts around the, the challenges faced by leaders around this idea of achieve, being able to achieve results through other people, you know, without actually doing the work yourself? I yeah, I, I um, always go back to um, as as much as you can as a new manager to follow um, the principles of transformational leadership. And in a lot of ways, you can't go wrong. Um, so the theory of transformational leadership is based on four pillars. Um, and if, if we look at each of the four pillars, so the, the first one is inspirational motivation. The second is ideal influence. The third is intellectual stimulation. Um, and the fourth is individualized consideration. So if we look at each of these and what each means, you're addressing um, the different challenges that you're facing as a leader through embodying these sort of behaviors. So if we look at the first one, which is inspirational motivation, um, this is a leader who, where they can co-create the vision of the team and what the team is trying to achieve with the team, as much as you can involve people in that process. Um, when people feel involved in the process and involved in the creation of a, a vision or a team charter, they're far more likely to want to work um, on that team and for that team and for that leader. And where the leader can be as clear as possible on what's expected. Um, so what's expected of each member of the team and what's expected of the team collectively to achieve this vision. Um, they're going to have people follow them. Uh, so helping people to set um, high and reasonable objectives is really important. Um, if we look at the ideal um, idealized influence, so a transformational leader is one who is a really strong role model for their teams. So they lead by example and they consider the needs of their team really carefully and they prioritize those needs because when that doesn't happen that's when challenges can arise that's when you hear of um the, 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 some disgruntled um employees in a team where they don't believe like the manager has their back and um, they don't believe like the manager is a good role model they would not want to behave in their the way that their manager behaves that's where you can see some broken trust and uh, some issues in teams and um, if we look at the intellectual stimulation pillar um, so this is a leader who encourages their team members to think for themselves. They encourage creativity, innovation. Uh, they encourage people to come forward with ideas. They um, encourage people to make mistakes, like what's been mentioned a while ago. It's uh, encouraging others to make mistakes and, and uh, uh, creating an environment that's psychologically safe for people. Uh, that is crucial. Because when people feel like, what's the point? My ideas aren't going to be heard. What's the point in raising this? What's the point in changing this process? It's just going to be shut down. That can create um, rumblings in, in the team and uh, true discontent. And then the last pillar um, is the individualized um, consideration. A transformational leader invests time in the relationship with each of their team members there. They're truly caring, they're truly supportive, and they're a mentor um, for each of the members on their team. And they truly care about each member's 
uh, individual development. Again, you can see issues in a team, challenges that leaders face when uh, people feel like that team, that, that time is not being invested in them. Whereas someone, when you have a manager who truly believes in your potential more than you believe yourself, that's, you're, you're unstoppable um, as, as an individual contributor as, or as an employee of that team manager. Uh, and so that type of a transformational leader will invest time in their in each member of the team in their development will listen to them what what is it that you want um and that's a non-negotiable that that time is is dedicated to people no matter how, how busy no matter how busy the the month gets that there is time dedicated to having those conversations and that means a lot to people so out of each of those different pillars i believe that a lot of the challenges that leaders face can be addressed I think it's so um, it, all of that totally makes sense. I would love to come back now. And it's really interesting that you kind of brought up that idea of time again, like and, and no matter how busy you get, <coughs> it's really a case of investing time in in mm. your employees and having those conversations about what it is and, and what I suppose what makes them unique and showing them that you believe in them, even if they don't necessarily believe in themselves. Mm. But I'd love to come back to this idea of time that you mentioned earlier, the operational versus the management time, because I think as a first time manager, it's so easy to get caught up in the day to day yeah. stuff of what you're doing in your job. Exactly as you said earlier, Aoife, you got recognised for that. You got praised for that. So you kind of think that that's what you need to do more of. Um, mm. And as I rightly said, it's the what got you here won't get you there idea. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to know any thoughts on trying to find that balance between the two things, because we are so busy. They mm. are two very different roles. And and like maybe before we go into trying to find the balance, any thoughts on whether a manager should have an operational day to day role or solely be a manager? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I I think that the most of their roles should be focused on on managerial tasks unless there are operational tasks that need to be signed off on by them um or where uh they're they're in a particular line of work where the manager does need to step in at times but ultimately i don't think that's the best use of the manager's time um you could argue in certain industries that they do need to have that a certain amount of time in their week um, dedicated to operational tasks or jumping back into the role. Uh, but from my experience, a manager is best placed in the leadership role um, where they are focused on the, the different pillars that we've talked about there around transformational leadership, around developing others, um, focused on leading the team. How am I clearing the path for my team to to be successful? How am I clearing out obstacles? How am I um, being the voice of my team at the senior leadership table? Um, all of those different challenges that a manager faces, I believe, should be uh, the, should take up the bulk of their time, for sure. Um, yeah, so essentially what we're saying is that going from the ideal where we're saying in an ideal world, it would be the majority of your time is spent on the, the managerial tasks, but it's bringing it back down, I suppose, to the day to day reality of what's happening out there. Companies are under resourced 
and managers are expected to do the operational day-to-day stuff in addition to the managerial tasks. So how, what's the best way they can do to, to, I suppose, to manage across those two different things without burning out, you know? And then, and I, and I suppose like it's knowing the importance of managers. So, I mean, my brain is just going on fire now with all these ideas, but it's, it's the importance of managers as the people who motivate the team, the importance of managers as the, the person who is, I won't say exclusively responsible, but oftentimes when people leave an organisation, it's because they, they've had a poor experience with manager and the manager is the touch point of the organisation. Uh, you know, it's how you experience, you experience the organisation through the manager that you have. So, um, and also if someone is a high performing manager, they're likely to be given more work because they're performing well and they, th- people know they'll do it and they'll probably say yes, but then they're more likely to burn out. So there's a lot of different considerations when it comes to looking at how to balance between the managerial side of things and the operational. But I'd just love to know if have you any thoughts from any of the clients that you've dealt with or, or anything, um, any light to shed around that, uh, that area? Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's um, it's a massive issue, um, worker shortage, and uh, that it's like a residual hangover from COVID, that from the pandemic, that we became much more productive being at home, being shut off, and the obviously that brings a lot of benefits, but also so many minuses. Um, that, that that brings along with it but it's it's as if a lot of companies haven't um haven't provided the resources or haven't been able to provide the resources to to alleviate some of that load it's like we've ex- set the bar higher expected these um higher higher levels of production from people um that were possible that, that are possible but like you said could lead to burnout um i think it's important uh, especially for for new managers actually for any any manager at any level, um, to very clearly outline who, what's the manager that I want to become. So, what does what does that best version of me as a leader or, or a people manager, whatever the term is that you use yourself, what's that best version look like, and by when do I want to achieve that, and is the way I'm operating now contributing to my future self, or is it? taking me away from my future self. And I would build my goals, my own personal development goals, as well as my work-related goals where possible in, in, in um, tandem with your, or in collaboration with your manager. Um, what, what are those goals um, that, 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 I, that I'm aiming to achieve that are going to bring me closer to that future self? And if the, the way that I'm working at the moment is moving me away from that future self, moving me away from the leader, the best leader that I can be, the best leader that I want to become for my people and for the future people that I'm going to lead, um, then what needs to change? And I would do spend some time reflecting on that if you are feeling completely overworked and like you don't have the resources to keep up with the demands, um, then certainly to start to reflect on that future leader, future self, what are the goals that I want to achieve? What are the steps that I need to get there? Um, and what am I focused on at the moment that is bringing me closer? And where am I focusing my time that's actually bringing me further away? 
And in order for you to satisfy your own needs as a leader and to support your team as effectively as you can, as well, when I say needs, I mean not only your, your growth needs, your development needs and development needs to team, but also your 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 mental health um, and your your own um, health to make sure that you're looking after yourself. So then once you've had that that bit of a, a reflection on on all of this, then to bring that to your leader and have a discussion with them. Um, and if the way you're operating right now is not sustainable long term, then that's going to show up at some point down the line, whether that be a health scare, you know, touch wood not, but it, it could show up at some point down the line when you're running on that hamster wheel and there's, um, you know, you're, you're releasing stress hormone every day and you're not getting a break. That's going to come out in some way. And so you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your employees, potentially your family members as well from that kind of pain um, by having this challenging conversation with your manager. But they'll appreciate um, if they're a good leader like yourself, if they, they'll appreciate your your candor and that you've put some thought into it and you have some ideas to share um, around how you can start to build towards this, this leader that's going to be for the good of the company, for the good of your own health and for the good of um, your people. So I, I would start there on having that kind of, a, doing that kind of a reflection exercise, bringing the, um, the content of that to your leader um, and, and start to, to look at how some of that, that workload could potentially be delegated um, or taken off the plate altogether. Um, if, I, if you're getting pushback from your manager, then I'd, that's a bigger question for me. Is this an organization that you want to work for and align yourself with? If the values of the organization are not being lived through your leader, um, if, if they're saying that we care about our employees, and you're coming with this discussion and that's not the case, then that raises a bigger question for you, I yeah, would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of opened up a whole other can of worms in relation to how things are done in organisations, in relation to productivity, yeah. how decisions are made, how expectations are set, how objectives are set and, and how clear it is of what needs to be done and at what level it needs to be done at as well. So, yeah. um, again, you know, conscious of time here, don't want to be spending all day solving the world's problems. Um <laughs> So maybe that's an opportunity to kind of to wrap things up, but definitely food for thought for people to think about how things are being done at the moment. So Aoife, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? I love that question. <laughs> um, I, I believe it means freedom. I, I just associate the word freedom with being happier at work. So whether you're in an organisation and you have the freedom to be yourself, to bring your best self to work, to share ideas, to the, 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 the freedom to feel like you have the give and take with the organization, that you've got the flexibility that you need. You're going to put in the work, but it's give and take. You also need some um, gas in your tank from, the, from, the, from your leader as well and from the organization. So it's that freedom or, or working for myself now from my own perspective, the freedom um, to work on my own um, projects that are meaningful for me, doing meaningful work every day and supporting leaders and having the freedom to, you know, those those days when you're an employee in an organization, you know, when you might have a midweek day off. And I, I just that was my vision of me having my own business was to have you know, those odd days off mm. when you just get to run your errands and you're out, you know, on a Wednesday or something like mm. that. And you're seeing other people who are out and about and you're wondering, 
where, what are they doing? You know, what's everybody <laughs> doing pottering around on a Wednesday? But I love it. Um, and just having the freedom to to make appointments and, mm-hmm. and, and do that. That's freedom for me in, in my business. Um, but happier at work, to me, I it's very much linked with the word freedom for me. Yeah, brilliant. Love it. And if people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about what you do, what's the best way they can do that? Um, I'd say connect with me directly on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect. It's Aoife Donovan Lee. Um, and message me on there as well uh, to check out um, our Donovan Learning program. So that's the business with my dad, Donovan Learning. That's uh, donovanlearning.com. And our um, self-directed courses are up there. Or please do get in touch. Um, hello at donovanlearning.com if you'd like to chat to us about bespoke programs um, or any of the programs that you see on our website. We'd love to talk to you. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Eva. I'm sure we could have gone on for another little while <laughs> talking about all, this, all of the different <laughs> challenges and opportunities that organisations have, especially when it comes to leadership. So really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. That was Aoife Donovan Lee there, and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I suppose for me, if I could sum it all up, it's really about how to be successful as a leader. And I know in the past I've talked about leadership. I've talked about how to elevate women leaders and I've talked about this concept of success. It was really great to bring all of those things kind of together into one episode. As a reminder, please do interact with the social media posts. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. You can interact directly in Spotify. You can interact where I mostly hang out would be LinkedIn and Instagram. And you'll find all of my links on happieratwork.ie. So I look forward to hearing what you thought of today's episode, anything that particularly resonated with you, any questions that you have as a result. So for For today's episode, what I really wanted to do was just pull out some of the really key points from what we spoke about today, some of the really standout things for me. And one of the phrases or one of the questions posed, I suppose, by Aoife was this this idea that what will you accept as evidence of success six months into the role? And I think sometimes we forget to think about those questions or we forget to ask those questions. But really, that's looking at, well, what does success actually look like in this role rather than making assumptions about what it should look like? And it's really about being on the same page as your team, as your manager around expectations. So what are your expectations of the role and what are their expectations of the role? And I think, you know, expectations are something I talk an awful lot about. And if we have really clear expectations, we can feel more motivated in the role. Now, one of the frameworks that Aoife shared is from the Tao of Coaching. It's a book and it's about ways that people are motivated to do the task. So a couple of the the kind of points from that is about this skill will matrix and it's breaking down tasks. So if someone has a high skill but a low will, then they feel demotivated and you can overcome that by praising and nurturing and satisfying their needs. If they have a high skill and a high will, then you invite them into the process and they decide the method the method of how they complete the task and ask them what they think. So it's bringing them into it. Then there's the low skill and high will. And that's when you're tolerating mistakes. And it's about trying to figure out, well, how do we move past this together? Another question posed then is, is how are you spending your time and looking at whether you're spending your time 
in the day-to-day operations or in the management of your team. And this is something that comes up again and again in my client work is this idea of how much time should we be spending on our own personal day-to-day roles versus managing the team? And how much is contributing to the team's performance? So are you actually delegating? And I think oftentimes we are afraid to let go of control that, you know, we were so highly praised for how we did the work that we want to make sure that it's done to a particular standard. And therefore, we're we're afraid to let go of control now if someone else needs to, to look after it. When it comes to delegation, it's about suiting the task to the role or the level of the individual, but also supporting them to be able to do it. So explaining them how explaining to them how you do it, uh, making sure that they're really clear and checking for understanding as well. Now, something else that Aoife talked about was this idea of the principles of transformational leadership. And those principles are inspiration, motivation. So that's about co-creating the vision. So, for example, with a a team charter, then idealized influence that's having a, a role model, for example, and leading by example, intellectual stimulation. So that's encouraging people to think for themselves and creating an environment of psychological safety. And no matter how how busy you get, don't forget to actually do this. And then there's individualized consideration. And that means that the manager believes in your potential. And the fundamental grounding of all of this is that as leaders, we should focus most on the managerial tasks rather than the operational tasks. So most of our time should be spent with developing the team rather than doing the day to day role. If that's not where the majority of your time is spent, I would maybe have a think about how you are allocating your time at the moment. A couple of final thoughts then to uh, leave you with in relation to what Aoife discussed on the podcast today. And one of the other questions she posed was thinking about what's the manager I want to become? So you don't have to be the best manager today. You don't have to be the best manager tomorrow. But what's the best version? And by when do you want to become the best version of the manager that you want to become? So giving yourself deadlines, setting milestones along the way and having a really clear vision about the kind of manager that you want to be. Now, this kind of reminded me of a a previous podcast episode uh, in relation to thinking about whether you're making a towards move towards the kind of manager that you want to be or whether you're making an away move. So are you doing or behaving in such a way that you're you're going away from what you would really consider to be the kind of manager that you want to be. And a final, final thought then is this quote that I took from Aoife, which is how am I clearing the path for my team to be successful? I thought that's really, really powerful stuff. If you have listened this far, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation on social media. You'll find all of my links on the website, happieratwork.ie, and I look forward to interacting with you. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it, 
or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie. 